Let me tell you where we're headed for the rest of the week, uh, just in a little bit of an overview. Uh, today, I want to talk about the meaning of expository preaching, and I want to do it in two veins, really heads and tails of the same coin. I want to talk about what it is not and then what it is regarding expository preaching. So that's how we'll spend the rest of our time today. And I, and I do want to say, as Dr. MacArthur did, any questions you have or comments, please put your hand up and we'll interact with that. I don't know how good I am at chasing rabbits, but we'll uh, be glad to interact uh, as the class goes on. So that'll be of help. Tomorrow, I want to talk about the marks of expository preaching. And I want to talk about some of those distinctives that really define what true, pure expository preaching is. And that'll go beyond just the meaning, but uh, I want to lay out ten marks of expository preaching. And then, the last two days, I want to talk about the models of expository preaching, and I want to walk through the Scripture with you. And I want to look at the models of expository preaching in the Old Testament. And then I want to look at the ministry of Christ and his preaching. And then I want to look at the book of Acts and the, pre the preaching um, that we see by the apostles. And, um, and then finally in the epistles, specifically the pastoral epistles. We'll look at some other texts as well. And really, what we want to do is to emulate what we see in the Scripture. Uh, I think it matters to God how His Word is preached. Um, I, I don't think we have total freedom to just preach however we want to preach. Um, I think there is a regulative principle that Scripture regulates how Scripture is to be preached. And I want us to, <clears throat> to look at the examples in Scripture, and I, I can't think of a more... Um, binding uh, model than what we see set forth in the Word of God itself. And I, and I think what we will see is that from cover to cover there is a common thread that runs through the Old Testament, through the ministry of Christ, through the apostles in the book of Acts, as well as through the epistles regarding what expository preaching is. I, I don't think there's another track that we could get on. Um, I think once we see this laid out in Scripture, uh, I think we are, are bound to get in that same line and preach like the prophets and the apostles and even Jesus Christ himself. Now, I, I'm going to be teaching uh, the other preaching classes, uh, maybe just a little bit of a look ahead, and um, for the second year, we're going to look at the history of preaching. And I, I want to do a total walk through church history with you when we arrive at that point. And I think that's a year from now. Um, and I, I am a great lover of church history. I'm really an expositor, and I, that's what I do is just preach the Scripture. But church history ha has become a second love for me. And I want to walk through church history and what I think are the great preachers down through the ages. And I think what we see in them is they've gotten in line exactly behind the, the prophets and the apostles and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's just like a long train. They have hooked up their cars behind them. 
And so this line of great preachers that begins with Moses and goes all the way through the New Testament, um, these great men in church history have, have emulated that same pattern of preaching. And so we'll look at that in the history of preaching. And I, and I want to look at towering giants with you, men who have really marked their eras and have impacted continents and who have launched movements in church history and who have birthed uh, missions movements and extraordinary seasons of God's prolific expansion uh, of his kingdom. I, I want to look at men like Luther and Calvin and Edwards and Whitfield and Spurgeon and Lloyd-Jones and Boyce and MacArthur and, and these great men and, and pull these threads together. Um, but it's as, it's as much as who these men were and are as much as it is their preaching as well. So we're not just teaching techniques. It's going to have to be birthed in your own heart and soul, and you'll have to be a certain kind of man to be able to preach like this. Um, it, it's one thing to, to see it, but it's another thing for it to grow out of the fertile soil of your own soul and your own life. And so that's what we'll look at in the history of preaching. So that's out ahead, and uh, I've written a book, some books on men from church history and and, uh, and we'll have a good time looking at that together. And then, for the third year, we're going to look at uh, the mechanics of preaching. And I, I want to start with you in the study and walk all the way through all the steps of pulling together an expository sermon until you're standing in the pulpit with an open Bible and some notes and the delivery of the preaching. And so I've isolated some 23 steps and stages along the way. It's the same pie, however many slices you want to slice it up into. But we want to just start with you sitting at your desk in your study with a Bible and with me, a blank piece of paper with you, maybe it's a computer screen, whatever, and just to go through all of the exegetical steps, but the outlining, the pulling together of the explanation, the application, the illustration, the transitions, the, the crescendo at the end, the introduction at the beginning. Uh, we're we're going to put our arms around all of this. And um, I'm now 61 years old. Uh, I've been preaching uh, as a pastor in a church for over the last 30 years, and I, I preach three, four, five times a week, sometimes more than that, different messages, and each one of those I manuscript and write out and just, you know, go through the whole birthing process um, each time. And so over those 30-plus years and doing this, uh, last year I, I don't think I even was off a Sunday, even my vacations, I preach somewhere, someplace, and it's, it's been a long time since I've even missed a Sunday. So, um, I, I love preaching. I, I live for preaching. Uh, this is what I do, is, is I preach the Word of God. And I think the more we preach, the better we preach. And I, I think a lot of guys really are not good preachers because they don't even preach enough to be good preachers. Uh, if you were trying to learn how to play the piano, and if you only played the piano once a quarter, 
uh, practice it once a quarter, I can assure you, unless you're just a prodigy, you're, you're, you're not going to become good. I mean, you need to do it constantly throughout the week. Practice, practice, and, and to do it, to develop your own gifts and develop your own skills and to know how to use commentaries and, and, and various tools in your library and become proficient in this and to learn yourself and to learn how I pull together, go through these steps and processes, and it's unique to each one of us to a certain extent because we're all wired somewhat differently, and yet they're still the same stages. So th that's really more the big picture. And so everything that you're going to take here at the Master's Seminary for the rest of the years that you're here really just augment to prepare you to be an expositor of the Word. Now, I realize not everyone in this room may be an expositor, but I'm going to say, even if you're not an expositor, you're probably going to be a professor to train expositors, or you'll serve as an elder someplace and occasionally be uh, an expositor, but you're going to be supporting the man who is an expositor. Um, but I trust that for most of you will be an expositor. So every class that you'll take over these next years in one way or another is designed to just to put flesh on the skeleton of what we're going to look at um, in these preaching classes. I mean, this is the tip of the arrow, and everything else is the shaft of that arrow and the feathers to give it flight, but this is the tip of the arrow. I mean, if you're a pastor, you are a preacher, of the Word of God. If you're a barber, you cut hair, and if you don't cut hair, you may call yourself a barber, but you're not a barber. You're whatever it is that you do. And if you're a pastor, you are a preacher of the Word of God. You are a proclaimer and a herald of the Word of God, and, and this is what we do. And we, we don't really need many little specialists supporting on the side. We, we need frontline preachers of the Word of God. We need to send them out of here in waves and just unleash you guys upon the world with, with an open Bible and just to preach the Word of God. So I, I hope that's in your heart and in your soul, and that's what this school is uniquely about. This school is different from other schools, and it's, it's, it's a tight, it's a, it's a tight uh, mission of what we have. And it is to put the Word of God into your hand and to equip you and train you to stand up and say, Thus says the Lord. Um, some seminaries will, will tell you how to you know, rent a bus to do a youth weekend and put up a volleyball net and, you know, and all these other silly things. And you know, we're, we're going to put the Bible in your hand and put the Bible in your heart and just thrust you out and tell you to go preach it to the world and not to mumble it, and not to whisper it, and not to mime it, or play act it, or whatever, but to stand up like a man, like a man of God, and to preach the Word of God, and the power of the Spirit of God, for the glory of God, and so that's, that's what we're about here. So, let's, let, let's talk about what expository preaching is not. And as we would begin to talk about what it is not, I think we need to begin by just a very simple admission that not all preaching is expository. 
In fact, as you go out, you may be the only man in your town that would be a true expositor of the Word of God. Um, most preachers are not expositors, and there's all different kinds of reasons why they're not expositors. Uh, they were never trained to be an expositor. Um, they don't have role models who are expositors. Uh, they're not listening. They're not downloading expositors. They're not reading expositors. Uh, they're in some denominational uh, hierarchical, you know, where you work your way up from this size church to the next size church, and so uh, most pastors are in that system, and to get to the next level, if you suddenly become an expositor, um, you're going to be in a cul-de-sac. You're not going to be going anywhere. I mean, you need to step in line with the rest of the denomination or the rest of the group, and so you need to talk like everyone else and speak like everyone else, and if you suddenly break open the Bible and begin to preach the Bible in a very direct way, then, you know, there's going to be a low ceiling, perhaps. And so for that reason, a lot of guys are not uh, expositors. Um, a lack of confidence in the Word of God, a lack of confidence in the power of the Word of God. Um, many different reasons why men are not expositors, uh, not the least of which is it's hard work. I mean, you live in final exam week every week. I mean, you're on, and you're giving your term paper publicly. You're standing up, and, and you're delivering it, and you no more than sit down, and you're back up there later that night, and you're, you're giving it again, a different one. And, and so it's, it's hard work. It's, it's a precise um, science to be an expositor of the Word of God. You've got to study. You've got to, to dig it out of a book. And so most preachers are not expositors. And so therefore, we're in a time of crisis. Um, Al Mohler has said, one of the hallmarks of our time is that we face a crisis of preaching. Indeed, it would be an exercise in self-delusion if we tried to pretend that nothing is wrong with the preaching that happens in most evangelical churches. This, we're not even discussing liberal churches or or let's just say apostate churches, even evangelical churches. And Mueller says the sheer weightlessness of most contemporary preaching is a severe indictment of our superficial Christianity. So this is the age in, in which we live. I mean, there really is a famine in the land for the hearing of the word of the Lord. Uh, you are being trained to do that which most pastors are not trained to do, and that, quite frankly, which pe most people are not longing to have. Most people don't know that they don't know. They, they don't even know what expository preaching is as, as we go out. And so this is the day in which we find ourselves. Michael Horton has said that that most preaching today is nothing more than, than an echo chamber for the latest trends in pop psychology, marketing, politics, entertainment, entrepreneurial leadership. That's quite a descriptive term. I don't know if you've read this book, Why Johnny Can't Preach. Have, have you heard of this book, read this book? You ought to go get a copy of Why Johnny Can't Preach. What a great title. It's written by T. Gordon, uh, T. David Gordon. I preached with him not long ago at a conference and had, had never met him. It was a short, small 
little guy who's a professor and a brilliant man. And, and he says this in this book, Why Johnny Can't Preach. It's really a commentary on today's pulpit. Uh, Gordon writes, In my opinion, less than 30% of those who are ordained to the Christian ministry can preach even a mediocre sermon. The problem there is not that we don't have great preachers. In many circumstances, we don't even have mediocre preachers. Part of me wishes to avoid proving this sordid truth, that preaching today is ordinarily poor. But I have come to recognize that many, many individuals today have never been under a steady diet of competent preaching. Just a footnote, I was talking to Derek Thomas, who's a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary, and he said to me, he said, virtually, or the, the, the vast majority of the students that he teaches have never sat under expository preaching. Have never even heard expository preaching, except maybe in a passing way at a conference, or maybe flip on the radio while they're surfing through, and occasionally hear something like that. That, that, is, that is shocking. T... Uh, t uh, David Gordon goes on to say, I have come to recognize that many, many individuals today have never been under a steady diet of competent preaching. As a consequence, they are satisfied with what they hear because they have nothing better with which to compare it. I would guess that of the sermons I've heard in the last 25 years, only 15% had a discernible point. Of those 15%, less than 10%, so less than 10% of the 15%, based the discernible point upon the text that was being read. I mean, we are in a state of all-out emergency in the pulpit. Philip Ryken has said, preaching has fallen out of vogue in most of the contemporary American church. Stop preaching at me, is what people are saying. Spare me the sermon. Uh, there is an overall dumbing down of doctrine. Sermons are getting shorter. If they go longer than 20 minutes, people start to get restless. Uh, churchgoers demand to be entertained. So in many churches, the sermon has been replaced by music, testimonies, drama, or even videos, unquote. Uh, I, I've been in some places where the pastor is better at the children's sermon than he is the regular sermon. That the adults get more out of the children's sermon for the little five-minute snippet when he sits down on the steps in front of the pulpit and has some little play object in his hands, and the kids get up out of the pews and come sit around him. The adults are spellbound, and then he gets up into the pulpit, and it's just like inane communication for the rest of the time. Merrill Unger wrote 60 years ago, the author of Unger Bible Dictionary, he said, to an alarming extent, the glory is departing from the pulpit of the 20th century. Well, how much more the 21st century? The basic reason for this condition is obvious. 
That which imparts the glory has been taken away from the center of so much of our modern preaching and placed on the periphery. The Word of God has been denied the throne and given a subordinate place. Human eloquence, man's philosophies, Christian ethics, social betterment, cultural progress, and many other subjects, good and proper in their place, have captured the center of interest and have been enthroned in the average pulpit in the place of the Word of God. And then he said these chilling words, where such exposition and authoritative declaration are abandoned, Ichabod is written over the pulpit. The glory is departed. And we're surely living in such days. Of Amos 8, verse 11, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, in which there will be a famine in the land, a famine not for water and a famine not for food, but a famine for the hearing of the word of the Lord. Dr. MacArthur has, has told me he'll fly into a town to preach. They'll pick him up at an airport and put him in the car, and they will drive him past every large church in town until he gets out on the perimeter, out on the outskirts, to some tiny little Bible church. And there is where he's preaching. So what is expository preaching not in these days? And we're surrounded by it on every side. Let me just give a few headings. One, it's, it's not seeker-sensitive preaching. That, that is not expository preaching. Uh, that is preaching that begins with man and then works to God in a very superficial way. It begins with a, with a felt need in the listener and then moves backward to find a few verses to be thrown at it. And of course, the message never rises any higher than those felt needs. Uh, there, there will be not just messages, but entire series on uh, how to overcome loneliness or how to overcome insecurity or how to connect with your kids, or, 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 or whatever. It never starts with the Word of God. It never starts with the opening up of a passage of Scripture and then moving to the, to the application. Uh, it begins with some superficial felt need that just lies on the surface, and the real need is never addressed. The real need is unfelt until the Word of God brings it to the surface. And so we're not talking about superficial, seeker-sensitive preaching. And as R.C. Sproul has rightly said, if you had a seeker-sensitive service, the only one who would show up would be God. Because there is none who seeks after God, no, not one. And God seeks those to worship Him in spirit and in truth. I was reading not long ago, Andy Stanley was recently interviewed regarding his book on communicating for a change. Stanley writes, guys that preach verse by verse through books of the Bible, that is just cheating. It's cheating because that would be easy. This isn't how you grow people. 
No one in the Scripture modeled that. There's not one example of that. All Scripture is equally uh, inspired, but not all Scripture is equally applicable or relevant to every stage of life. My challenge is to read the culture and to read an audience and ask, what is the felt need? Close quote. So th this is not a straw man that, that we've erected and it's easy just to, to go after it. This is, this is the mega church pastors around the country that uh, I, I used to meet with the pastors in the 50 largest Baptist churches, Southern Baptist churches in America. Y your church had to be 5,000 members or larger. And we'd sit in a room like this, all the tables would be turned inward. First question around the room, what's working in your church? I can assure you, no one said Romans. <laughs> it, it's what's the latest gimmick. And I, I would hear things like, well, we, we bought a, a, a box at the Houston Astros baseball game, and we take our visitors uh, and, and treat them like royalty. Or one man said, well, we take people on African safaris. I mean, people that visit our church at a certain income level, we, we'll take them off to do things like that. Just sheer, gross pragmatism and felt need. And so when they come to church, you're certainly not going to ruin your relationship with them by breaking out the Bible and preaching on the rich young ruler. Um, Rick Warren, in his words, quote, When Jesus encountered a person, he'd begin with their hurts, their needs, and interests. I said, it is my deep conviction that anybody can be one to Christ. Can the non-elect be one to Christ? Anybody can be one to Christ if you discover the key to his or her heart. And that key to each person's heart is unique, so it is sometimes difficult to discover. It may take some time to identify it, but the most likely place to start is with the person's felt need. Close quote. So, this is what's out there. We're not seeker-sensitive. Um, we will be nice to seekers. We, we will speak to them, be gracious, be kind. But the message that we bring, there is the offense of the cross. And it is a message that is to bring about conviction of sin. Second, uh, it's not emergent preaching. Um, so-called preaching today that is emergent uh, lacks certainty. It lacks conviction of, of truth. Uh, there is a downplaying of being certain about anything. Brian McLaren has become the leading spokesman um, for this movement, and, and they glory in unresolvable mystery. As he writes, as we move into a postmodern world, we re-enter a world of mystery, and we re-enter a world where people are skeptical of those overblown claims to certainty. So that's what you're going to be studying the next three to four years, is those overblown claims to certainty. That's a long way from 1 John 5:13. These things I've written unto you, that you may know that you have eternal life. I mean, to, to get into a church like this is like the bumper sticker I saw not long ago on the back of a car. It said, don't follow me, I'm lost. 
I mean, why would you entrust yourself to someone who has no idea of what the truth is or how to get there or where we're going? No, we, we are so distinctly different from this, we couldn't be any more antithetical in our approach to preaching and to ministry. And then third, there's improvisational preaching. Um, the preacher is a communicator, and the platform becomes a stage, and the congregation is the audience, and the message is the script, and the atmosphere is casual and laid back, and the look is cutting edge and edgy, and the feel is more of a contemporary concert. Um, one article that was put in front of me, this man argues for an approach to the pulpit he calls improvisational preaching, drawing on insights from stage, from jazz, and even from stand-up comedy to profile an approach to preaching that is not dull, not boring, not stuck someplace in the past. He says it must come across to those who hear it and share it as someone just talking to us, not preaching at us, not lecturing to us, not trying to get us to do this or that. It is someone who just stands in front of us and shares his or her heart. Well, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Why would we want you to share your heart? And so that's floating around out there. Uh, there is what we could call imaginative preaching. And um, that preaching that looks beyond the Bible in which we imagine the world around us by extension. The Bible is too narrow and too restrictive. And so Rob Bell has become uh, a real um, poster child for this. And, and he writes, God can be found in all of the interesting things buzzing around us. So we can take something from here and something from there and bring them together. A friend of mine calls it tying the clouds together. And so that's their approach to preaching, tying the clouds together. Uh, a few verses here and something from the philosophers and something from the business community and something from the culture, and we just tie it all together and, and look for unifying threads. He says, a lot of pastors were trained to read the verse and then read the commentaries, but after a while, the two are just talking to each other. One's focus can actually become smaller and smaller until something is funneled into the particular text. I mean, he actually admits this. It's, the text is too restrictive. He's too confined to simply say what the Scripture says. He says, rather than shrinking our vision, that's to preach the Bible is shrinking our vision, rather than shrinking our vision, the text should become a pair of eyes with which we are able to see even more. There's a great big world out there with quantum physics and architecture and economic theory and the thread count of clothing and the fact that refrigerators in Europe are smaller. I mean, that's profound. <laughs> that's deep. So, he, he'll take the book of James and read through the book of James and see small refrigerators in, in, in Europe. 
He said, I call it the truth behind the truth. The mystery behind the mystery. Reality behind reality. I would call it hell. He says, a staggering number of people have been taught that a select few Christians will spend forever in a peaceful, joyful place called heaven, while the rest of humanity spends forever in torment and punishment in hell with no chance for anything better. This is misguided and toxic and subverts the contagious spread of Jesus' message of love, peace, forgiveness. I mean, he sounds like the Dalai Lama. And so, as we're being trained for these next years to be expositors of the word, word of God, this is what's out there. This is what's going to be across the street from your church. This is what's going to be next door. When you go to the pastor's fraternal meeting in your community, and sitting on your right and on your left is going to be this kind of inane approach to, to ministry. Then it's not positive thinking preaching. Um, from Robert Schuller down to the Word of Faith movement, down to Joel Osteen, all of just the positive thinking that God wants you rich and wealthy and healthy, God wants you successful, um, on and on, no mention of sin, no call for repentance, no fear of God, no warning of hell. Um, instead, there's just simply Mother's Day type preaching every day of the year, full of infant stories, animal stories, children's stories, deathbed stories, grandmother stories, witty one-liners, homespun proverbial thoughts, poems, lyrics, movie titles, allegories, parables, inspirational accounts, backstories to songs, personal accounts, tender moments in life. just makes you want to throw up. Then, number six, it's not culture-driven preaching, where we begin with the culture and try to change and transform the culture. We, we can't change the culture until the individual is born again. And in the Reformation, there was a transformation of culture, but it was not because they went straight to the culture. It's because they went straight to the human heart with red-hot Bible preaching and were able to see God birth a new generation into the kingdom of God. And when they went back to the marketplace and went back to the university and went back to where they worked in the marketplace, yes, the continent was transformed, but it was only because... The sinner had been regenerated by the Spirit of God under the power of the preaching of the Word of God. But to go try to now, let's go redeem the culture, let's go reclaim the culture, are you kidding me? Nothing could be more futile than trying to transform an unregenerate, reprobate culture. And we have that all around us. Everything from D. James Kennedy wanting to reclaim America to Jeremiah Wright and social justice and trying to rewrite history to bringing the arts under Christian worldview, politics, education, literature, medicine, without preaching the Bible directly to the hearts of those who are unconverted. It's like trying to raise the Titanic from the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. The culture will never be reclaimed until the sinner is regenerated. 
with the Word of God. And then seven, it's not just moralistic preaching, which is just a, a litany of how-to sermons, uh, all application, all exhortation, no exegesis, no explanation of the text, no interpretation, just a list of do's and don'ts, how to have a happy vacation, how to this, how to that, which is just all proof texting. It's all duty and no power of the Spirit of God in one's life. It bypasses the text to just simply go straight to the application, and it is all just preaching application. It's like trying to build a house but never laying a foundation. All you want to do is put up windows and put up a roof, but you never put up walls or a foundation. And then it's not psychological preaching in which... Uh, secular psychology is being brought into the pulpit and people are given a secular diagnosis of spiritual problems. Um, it's that preaching that speaks of repressions, fixations, traumas, neurosis, syndromes, disorders, complexes, etc., etc., ad nauseum. And there is no theology, it's all therapy. And there is no dis disobedience, it's just all disorders. And then it's also not narrative preaching, in which the preacher becomes a storyteller, and the sermon is just one story. Uh, from the introduction to the conclusion, it's just, uh, it, it's a narrative. It's a meta-narrative message. Um, it lacks propositional truth, theological substance. It's just long on emotional content and personal stories that are all woven into one story to walk someone through the text. It's also not spring, uh, text springboarding. In other words, take out a passage, read the passage, and then depart from it, never to return again. Someone has said it's like uh, the singing of the national anthem. It's just something that you hear at the beginning, but you never hear from again. And so you just read the passage. It may even be in the bulletin. The text may even be printed in the bulletin, and it is read, but there is never any handling of that text of Scripture. It's never opened up. It's never explained. Uh, it's never brought to bear upon the conscience and upon the heart. It's simply a total departure from the text. In fact, the text would get in the way of the message. Let me tell you what it's also not. It is not data-dumping preaching, which could be a danger for some of us, where the sermon really just becomes a lecture. And it is just a data dump of disconnected observations of the text, a barrage of exegetical findings, uh, a digest of word studies, uh, a sequence of headings, but there's no preaching. It's just a commentary. That's not expository preaching at all. Uh, in such an approach to the pulpit, uh, there's no exhortation. There's no challenge, there's no appeal, 
There's no summons. There's no passion. Uh, the preacher comes across with the pizzazz of a flat Coke. I mean, there, there is no sense of urgency about the message. And there's no sense of calling for the verdict in the heart of the listener. He's just an information dispenser. He's just uh, a librarian standing in the pulpit who's full of data and full of information, but what he gives is nothing more than a lecture. It's not a sermon. It's just a lecture. And then finally, what it's not, we, we, we could call it decision decisionistic preaching, which is just John 3.16 every Sunday. It's a 20-minute sermon and a 20-minute invitation. And um, it's never aimed at the glory of God. It's never aimed at growing believers. From the first and last, it's simply aimed at getting someone to walk an aisle, raise a hand, parrot a prayer, come forward, as one man said, and just redecorate your life. Um, and in the model for that preaching, the, the real teaching, they claim, is done in Sunday school. But when you come to the church service, it's John 3.16. We love John 3.16, but that's not the full counsel of God. And it has its place in the whole, and it needs to be prominent but that is not the whole. So, what, what is expository preaching? Well, just by way of segueing into what is expository preaching, now Moeller has said this, and I would agree with him. He says, the only form of authentic Christian preaching is expository preaching. In fact, I think we could say if it's not expository preaching, it's suppository preaching. <laughs> Moeller goes on to say, I am convinced that we add to the confusion by discussing expository preaching as merely one kind of preaching or even the best kind of preaching. When we fall into that pattern, we do serious injury to the scriptural vision of preaching. Let's be clear, according to the Bible, exposition is preaching and preaching is exposition. He reiterates, one of the first steps to recovery of authentic Christian preaching is to stop saying, I prefer expository preaching. Rather, we should define exactly what we mean when we say preach. What we mean is very simply, read the text, explain the text, Reprove, rebuke, exhort, patiently, teaching directly from the text of Scripture. Then he says, if you're not doing that, you're not preaching. Close quote. I mean, what you're doing is you're just play-acting. You're just playing church. You're just going through the empty motions. John Stott argues, quote, all true Christian preaching. Did you hear that? All true Christian preaching is expository preaching, close quote. In other words, if it's not expository, it's not Christian.
Walt Kaiser, who has written toward an exegetical theology, states, Expository preaching is not one of the optional luxuries of the pulpit. In other words, there is the mandate for expository preaching. I, I think what we heard earlier today and yesterday, just those 19 headings, he had 66, just those 19 is sufficient to agree with Stott and with Moeller and with Kaiser. Now let's talk about the essential terms. Expository preaching, two words. One is expository, the other is preaching. Expository is the adjective, preaching is the noun. Expository is the adjective that describes the kind of preaching. Expository describes a certain kind of preaching, and we would say the correct kind of preaching, because expository preaching is biblical preaching. And the word expository, when we look it up in um, a dictionary, the word expository means setting forth the presentation of principal themes. This is out of the Oxford English Dictionary. The word means an explanation. The word means a commentary. The word means exposure. This is not out of a preaching book. This is just out of the English language. What does the word expository mean? Uh, in a verb, to exposit means to expound, to explain, to inform, to describe or define a subject, to expose information and its meaning. So expository preaching is the kind of preaching that is rooted and grounded in the Word of God and it explains what God means by what God says. It is God-centered preaching. It is God-dominant preaching. It is biblical preaching. It opens up a text of the Bible by making, and the preacher becomes the mouthpiece for that text, and he does three things. He reads the text, he explains the text, and he exhorts with the text. Those three things. This is not rocket science. It's not brain surgery. 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, Paul says, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Close quote. That is apostolic mandate laid at our feet. We're not free to reinvent preaching. We're not free to color outside the lines. We're not free to, to go off and to pursue any other approach to preaching. Until I come. In other words, Timothy, hold the fort until I get there. Until I come, give attention to, which means to totally devote yourself. Timothy, go strap yourself to the pulpit. And give yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. There you have it. You read the text, you explain the text, or teach the text, and you exhort with the text. Move on to the next text. That is what the word expository means. Thus, expository. Emphasis on the word expository. Expository is biblical. It is exegetical. It is theological. It is doctrinal. It is cognitive. It is intelligent. 
It is profound. It is objective. It is definitive in its presentation of the Word of God. Some synonyms for the word expository is informative, instructive, explanatory, descriptive, elucidatory, explicatory, interpretive, exegetical, teaching. Those are all synonyms for the word expository. This is the kind of preaching to which we are committed and we would say it is the true Christian preaching. I mean, what else would there be but to be a mouthpiece for the text of Scripture? It is preaching that explains a text, giving the God-intended meaning of the passage. It explains a biblical text, what it means and what it requires of us. It opens up the meaning of the text and shows its relevance to the life of the listener. And it is heavily teaching-oriented. That is the word expository. Now, the noun is preaching. Expository, preaching. Now, note, it's not expository lecturing. There's a place for the lecture in the classroom. A young man once came to Martin Lloyd-Jones and asked him the difference between preaching and teaching. Lloyd-Jones said, young man, if you have to ask me the difference between preaching and teaching, it is obvious you have never heard preaching. Because if you have heard preaching, you would not ask me the difference between preaching and teaching. Preaching goes beyond teaching. Preaching stands on the shoulders of teaching. Preaching meddles with people's lives. Preaching reaches higher and extends further than mere teaching. Not only in its content, but also in its tone and its trajectory. Lloyd-Jones would go on to say, a lecture can be given any time. A lecture can be given today, next week, next month, next year. But a sermon must be delivered now. It must come with a sense, Lloyd-Jones said, of urgency. That the listener must hear and must respond to the message. We are not training you to be lecturers. We are training you to be preachers of the Word of God. Preaching involves elements of motivation, declaration, proclamation, application, exhortation, confrontation, edification, persuasion, conviction, correction, 
invitation, affirmation, with passion and unction. Preaching today has been described as a mild-mannered man addressing a mild-mannered congregation and urging them to become more mild-mannered. Dr. MacArthur spoke, there is an element of preaching that is to bring terror and threat to the listener. We bring much more than that. We are to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. It's a sharp two-edged sword. And when people hear us preach, we want them to either, as one man said, either be mad, sad, or glad. But don't just sit there like a bump on a log and take notes. Preaching involves moving the listener in a direction. Now, it is only God the Holy Spirit. But God the Holy Spirit works through means. And God the Holy Spirit works through men. And God the Holy Spirit works through instruments whom He has picked up. We are Calvinists, but we are not hyper-Calvinists. We persuade, we beg, we plead as we bring the Word of God. Preaching, Dr. MacArthur has said, the preacher must be like a lawyer who, after presenting the evidence for his case, then calls for the verdict. There are t- many preachers today who are phenomenal at presenting the evidence for their case. But apologetic preaching does not go far enough. We're not just information dispensers. We are bringing people to forks in the road and calling for them to go one way or the other. In fact, we stand as a fork in the road. Now, true preaching is to lift up, hold up, light up, and fire up. As people come under the the power of the Word of God that comes through a man who is lit up by God. Expository preaching involves both elements. The teaching of exposition and the proclamation of preaching. When you marry those two together, that's like gas and a match. And there's going to be an explosion. Now, what if you don't have that balance? What what if you're all exposition and no preaching? Or what if you're all preaching and no exposition? Expository preaching, it, it involves both elements. All exposition without preaching is all content and no challenge. It's all information and no exhortation. Exposition without preaching is cerebral and cognitive. But it becomes and produces, over time, a congregation that is stoic, cold, calculating, clinical, and lifeless. 
Exposition without preaching produces people who are in balance. They are all head and no heart. They are all hearing and little doing. Exposition without preaching produces a congregation of eggheads with little passion and little personality. All exposition and no preaching imparts much information but little transformation. As I've already said, exposition without preaching is nothing more than a data dump. It is an encyclopedic lecture. So, we don't want all exposition and no preaching. That is a cul-de-sac that's going nowhere. And people who react to expository preaching from the outside, that's the extreme to which they are reacting against. That you're just a, a heady, cognitive, cerebral, lifeless congregation, and your personalities have been neutered. That, that is what they respond to. And there are places like that out there. And it's all teaching, but no preaching. Now, the other extreme is equally dangerous. Preaching without exposition is all hot air. It is loud, but it has no life. Preaching without exposition is shallow, it is superficial, and it is surface. Preaching without exposition exemplifies what one pastor wrote in the margin of his Bible, weak point, yell here. It is all style and no substance. It is all sizzle and no steak. Preaching without exposition is all theatrics and no theology. Such a man tries to fill the building without filling the pulpit. He trivializes the scripture, he abuses the pulpit, he manipulates people, and the result in such a place, if all exposition and no preaching, you end up with eggheads, all preaching and no exposition, what you have is an unregenerate congregation. A gathering of unconverted people. And both are deadly. What we want, what we must have, what the Scripture mandates is the marrying of the two. What does 2 Timothy 4 verse 2 say? Preach the Word. That's expository preaching. Preach the Word. There is preaching, there is proclamation, there is heralding, there is the declaration of the Word of God with authority, with pastoral care and concern, but with a sense of urgency. But we're preaching the Word. We're preaching the Scripture that is inspired by God. And as we bring that preaching, there is a manner prescribed in that passage that tells us and directs us how to preach the Word. 
The Puritan view of the pulpit was, was this. That the pulpit is to be an altar. And upon the altar is to be a fire blazing for the glory of God. That fire is the truth of God that is radiating and beaming and blazing and shining forth brighter than 10,000 suns in the sky above. And that light gives off both light and heat, or the fire gives off both light and heat. Light and heat. Every pulpit must have light and heat. Expository preaching gives off light and heat. There is the light of illumination. There is the light of enlightenment. There is the light of the truth. There is the clarity and the perspicuity of Scripture. There is the, the shining forth of the reality of the truth from God. There is the, the, the light of that fire. And when people hear us preach, they need to be able to say, I see it. Dr. MacArthur has told me the one thing that people say to him more than anything else over the 45 years that he's been here is people will come up to him and say, I see it. There is crystal clear clarity when he teaches the Word of God. That is light shining forth. And people now see what God is saying in His Word. It's explanatory. It, it explicates the Scripture. But there needs to be more than just light. There needs to be heat. And there is the heat of passion. And there is the heat that comes with the proclamation. And there is the heat of conviction. And there is the heat that gives energy to those who are under it. And so we are to be contagious in the pulpit with this. It's not just one mind reaching another mind. It is that. But it's also one heart reaching another heart. It is the total man in the preacher reaching the total person in the pew. Mind, emotion, and will. Mind, affections, and will in my, in my preaching. The entire person involved. But I'm after the entire person sitting in the pew. I, I, I want to affect your mind. I want to affect your heart. And I want to affect your will. I'm after all three in true biblical preaching. And so expository preaching, and only expository preaching, puts its arms around both sides. There is the content of exposition. And that's why it's going to take three, four, five years here to study the original languages and theology and biblical theology and, and book study and etc., 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 to get the, even just to begin to get the content of exposition so that you can stand on your feet and have an open Bible and say with clarity and authority what God says and what God means in His Word. That is the exposition. But it is to come in a way in which all of the elements of preaching are communicating that truth. So, expository preaching seeks to instruct 
the mind, ignite the heart, and impel the will. Expository preaching seeks to instruct the mind, ignite the heart, and impel or incite the will. Expository preaching starts with a text of Scripture. It stays with a text of Scripture. It supports with other texts of Scripture. It may even illustrate with other texts of Scripture. But it is constantly reading the text, explaining the text, and exhorting with the text. Well, Kaiser has said every preacher needs to always have one hand, one finger in a text of Scripture and to be always pointing at that text of Scripture that everything that you have to say is coming from this text of Scripture. And he said, when you get tired, you pull out this hand and you put this hand in your pocket and you point with the other hand. And you're always to be pointing at a text of Scripture. Men, we have nothing to say apart from the Word of God. We have absolutely nothing to say apart from Scripture. But think of the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of the profound wisdom and genius of God that is revealed in His Word. We could be airdropped into a pulpit and preach there for the next 80 years and never even begin to but scratch the surface of the depths of the truth of the Word of God. So, it is not reading a passage at the beginning and then launching off never to return. That, that is not expository preaching. Uh, it is not reading a passage and then wrapping a series of stories around it. It is not reading a passage and then allegorizing the text. It stays, it starts with a text of Scripture. It studies that text of Scripture. It stays with that text of Scripture. And it summons with that text of Scripture. The text is like an underground well, and everything you say must flow from this gushing fountain. In fact, our job is to, to open it up and get out of the way and let the Word of God come gushing forth. Some formal definitions of expository preaching. And when I say formal definitions, men, th these things ought to be tattooed on our eyelids. I mean, th this ought to be in front of us. This is our mission. This is what we do. This is our job description. This is the call of God upon our lives. Uh, we, 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 cannot, we, we, we cannot go AWOL from this. Uh, John Calvin, who in my estimation could be the chief expositor down through the centuries, has said that the exposition of the Word of God is simply the explication of the text and then the exhortation from that text to the listener. How simple is that? And yet, how challenging this is in the development of our skills to do this. 
Preaching must be rooted and grounded in the Bible. It must flow from the Bible. It must be established upon the Bible. It must give understanding of the Bible. It must direct lives according to the Bible. Merle Unger has defined expository preaching as communicating the real and essential meaning of a passage of Scripture. As it existed in the mind of the particular biblical author, and as it exists in the light of the overall context of Scripture. Let me repeat that again. It is communicating the real and essential meaning of a passage of Scripture as it existed in the mind of the particular biblical writer, and as it exists in the light of the overall context of Scripture. He then succinctly summarizes it by saying, it is God's Word made plain and applied to the present-day needs of the listener. The book by John Stott, Between Two Worlds, what, what a perfect picture of expository preaching that is. When we stand in the Bible, in the pulpit with an open Bible, and we do stand in the Bible, <laughs> We put our hands on two worlds. We're like a mediator in that sense. With one hand, we reach back to the ancient world of the Scripture, 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. We put one hand on the ancient world of the Bible, and we explain what that meant to that biblical author, and how did the recipients of that understand it, we give the historical background, we give the word study, we give the geographical background, we give the cultural background. We take people back 2,000 years and put them into the skin of, of the writer and the recipients and, and give the essential, real meaning of the passage of Scripture. And then with the other hand, we have a hand upon the present-day world in which we live and the listeners who sit under our ministry. And we are aware of where they are and the peculiarities that they face in their life and the challenges that they face. And we transport from the ancient world the true essential meaning of the text and we bring it to bear upon the life of the listener in the present world in which they live. That's what expository preaching does. It, it plays in two worlds. The ancient world, that's the exposition. The present world, that is the preaching. Unger then adds, it, expository preaching is emphatically not preaching about the Bible. Rather, it is actually preaching the Bible itself. What saith the Lord, he says, is the alpha and omega of expository preaching. That is to say, it is the beginning and the end. Expository preaching, he says, begins in the Bible and ends in the Bible, and all that intervenes springs from the Bible. In other words, expository preaching is Bible-centered preaching. Now, who among us would want to argue with that? Like, what else would we stand up and talk about? 
J.I. Packer, writing in his book, God Has Spoken, gives another type of definition. He says, the true idea of preaching is that the preacher should become a mouthpiece for his text, opening it up and applying it as, a wor as the Word of God to his listeners, talking only in order that the text itself may speak and be heard. You know, if, if that is the definition of expository preaching, a lot of sermons could be 15-second talks because there's not much text. He then puts it succinctly, it is simply letting text talk. Letting text talk. Al Mohler is a very sharp man, president of Southern Seminary, defines expository preaching. He says, let me offer a more formal definition of expository preaching as a framework for consideration. Expository preaching is that mode of Christian preaching that takes as its central purpose the presentation and application of the text of the Bible. That's what we've been saying. The presentation and application. We, we've said the explanation and the exhortation. It's the same thing. The presentation and application of the text of the Bible. All other issues and all other concerns are subordinated to the central task of presenting the biblical text. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is peripheral. Everything else, he says, is subordinate. What is primary? What is the pinnacle? What is the apex? What is the alpha and the omega? is the presentation and application of the biblical text. He then goes on to say, as the Word of God, the text of Scripture has the right to establish both the substance and the structure of the sermon. Both the substance and the structure of the sermon. In other words, the structure of our sermon will follow the structure of the passage of Scripture. I mean, we're like a skier behind a boat. We're just hanging on to the rope. We can only go where the boat takes us. We can't go in another direction. We can't go in the opposite direction. We're being pulled along by the boat. We can only ski in the wake of the boat. That's what expository preaching is. We go where the text goes. We say what the text says. We warn where the text warns. We offer what the text offers. We speak what the text speaks. Muller then goes on to say, Genuine exposition takes place when the preacher sets forth the meaning and message of the biblical text and makes clear how the Word of God establishes the identity and worldview for the people of God. It has to do with explaining a text, breaking it down, making its meaning clear to the congregation. Essentially, this is what it means to preach. The heart and soul of expository preaching, Moeller says, is reading the Word of God and then explaining it to the people so that they understand it. And we would add and urge them to live it. 
Sinclair Ferguson writes much the same definition. He, he says, The explanation of Scripture forms the dominant feature and the organizing principle of the message. It is the dominant feature and the organizing principle of the message. That is exactly what Moeller said. It's the substance and structure of the message. Ferguson says, it sees as its foundational task the explanation of the text in its context. The unfolding of its principles and only then their application to the world of the hearers. There's a reason why the explanation comes before the application. We can't apply what has not been taught or explained. We can't put the roof on the first level of the house. We have to lay the foundation, read it, explain it, and then we apply it. A couple other definitions. Philip Ryken, who, was, who followed James Montgomery Boyce at 10th Presbyterian Church, now is president of Wheaton. Philip Ryken explains further. He says, expository preaching means making God's Word plain. It's not making the culture plain. It's not making felt needs plain. It's making God's Word plain. He says, in an expository sermon, the preacher simply tries to explain what the Bible teaches. The main points of his sermon are the points made by a particular text in the Bible. The minister not only begins with Scripture, but also allows the Scripture to establish the context and content for his sermon. The way he describes what to say is by studying what the Bible has to say, so that the Scripture itself sets the agenda for his interpretation and application. Expository preaching does not mean merely beginning with a biblical text and then communicating the preacher's own spiritual ideas or the values of contemporary culture. Rather, it is preaching that is driven by Scripture and derived from its divine authority, so that the Word of God is declared to God's people. Expository preaching carefully and thoroughly communicates what the Bible actually teaches. It involves explanation and proclamation with exhortation. In each worship service, the minister preaches a particular Bible passage in a way that explores its context, explains its meaning, expounds its doctrine in connection to the person and work of Jesus Christ and applies its gospel to the spiritual needs of those who listen, exalting the glory of God. We, we buy into this. Ian Murray says, such preaching presents a text, then with that text in sight throughout, there is deduction, argument, and appeal, the whole making up a message which bears the authority of Scripture itself. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, we must always be expository. Always expository. He says, what is preaching? It is theology on fire. 
you know, one minister came to Spurgeon and said, you know, when I preach, nobody will come to hear me. What should I do? He said, here's what you do. You douse yourself with gas, strike a match, set yourself on fire, and people will come to see you burn. Theology on fire. How do you explain Grace Community Church? How do you explain people driving from everywhere in Los Angeles? How do you explain people moving from across the country? How do you explain some of you men getting up from other nations and getting on airplanes and putting your wife and kids in an airplane and flying? What, what is the attraction? Why? Is it because the best stories are told here? It is because there is theology on fire. And we are like moths drawn to the flame. And that is what we must be, and that is what we must do as we minister the Word of God. Now, that comes through a personality, and each of our personalities are different. And God has wired us all differently. But whatever is passion, and whatever is urgency, and whatever is authority, and whatever is pastoral concern, through your voice, through your personality, that is what is theology on fire. We need to be, as Richard Baxter once said, we need to preach as dying men to dying men. As a dying man to dying men. As never to preach again. No one ever preaches so sincerely and urgently as the man who knows it's his last sermon. You put all the chips out on the table. That is the way we are to preach every time we step into the pulpit, as if there is no tomorrow. Different approaches, very quickly. Expository preaching, to some extent, looks different in different expositors. And Dr. MacArthur alluded to there is both the art and the science of expository preaching. With the science part, there is no room for variance with any of us in this room. Truth is truth. Interpretation is interpretation. Words are words. Grammar is grammar. Syntax is syntax. Historical background is historical background. So the science part, there can be no difference. Exegesis is exegesis. The art part is the manner in which it is conveyed. And God has wired us all differently with different personalities, with different temperaments. He has placed us in different parts of the globe. We have had different influences brought to bear upon our lives to shape us, to bring us to where we are. We have different IQs. We have different manners of expressions. Um, we will preach to different congregations who are at different maturity levels in different regions. And so there is a, a difference in the art part. 
Uh, if, if we were to go to the Getty Museum, art museum, after class, and if we were to go from building to building, there, there are many different kinds of art. Uh, we could look at the French Impressionists. We could walk to the next building and look at the, the Dutch masters. We could walk to a different room, look at the colonial period. And they, they paint differently. And so different expositors, there is, uh, uh, there is room. In fact, there, there must be some degree of variance. And many of us actually hinder ourselves when we try to be someone else. Young men in the ministry, we usually begin with certain influences that shape how we pull the message together, how we communicate that, how we come across, and we all need role models and examples. I would say the most well-rounded men are those who have more than just one person that they're emulating. But over time, as we develop our gift and as we grow and mature, we develop our own style, our own manners of expressions and the way we communicate and convey truth. And there are different men in history that really almost represent different types, different approaches of expository preaching. Uh, let me just put five out on the table and then we'll finish. I think it's five that I've got, but it's, we, we need to think about this. Because we're not all, we, we don't want to be cut out of a cookie cutter. And we all preach off of the same manuscript. And we all just read the same manuscript. And we underline the same words on that manuscript. And we raise our voice at the same point. And we write out in the margin gesture here. So, such that we all are just mimicking whoever is the one that is the role model. No, there is the art of expository preaching. So, for example, uh, John Calvin. The man preached line upon line, phrase upon phrase, the entire books in the Bible. Time does not permit me to walk through but he, all the books that he preached and how many sermons he preached. But he preached 353 consecutive expositions through Isaiah. Selah. Just pause and meditate. At 6 a.m. in the morning. Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday morning. Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning. Friday morning, to a packed house. 200 consecutive expositions through Job. Um, he had no outline. He had no manuscript. He had no notes. He preached in French. He would then walk across the street and lecture to his students in Latin. and preached out of a Hebrew Bible and preached out of a Greek Bible. It took 200 years for us to figure out which version of the Bible he was preaching from because it didn't match any other version until it dawned on Calvinian scholars, oh, he's just translating on the fly in the pulpit. Well, you know, he was playing with a full deck. He had several decks. <laughs> in his head. But that was Calvin. He had a short introduction, virtually no illustrations. 
Uh, the introduction was usually just a summary of the previous message and where we are now for this. Very pastoral, sometimes pointed, sometimes polemic. He would never pronounce hardly a, a, a Hebrew word in the pulpit, would hardly ever, ever, ever pronounce a Greek word in the pulpit. In fact, he used very common words, and he spoke very distinctly and very almost methodically. That is why we have verbatim every word he said in the pulpit. He was very easy to take notes. Common words, short sentences, slow pace. That's John Calvin. Worse things could happen than any of us end up being John Calvin, the, the master expositor. Um, another would be Charles Spurgeon. You say, was Spurgeon an expositor? Well, of a different kind. Um, he never preached through books in the Bible. He would go into his study on Saturday night at 6 o'clock, lock himself in his study. He would open his Bible, and he said every text was screaming to him, preach me, preach me. Take me to church with you. Put me in the pulpit. See what I can do. So he would sit down and with one little piece of paper write out a sentence outline. He studied. He read. He had a photographic memory. He preached virtually every day of the week, if not multiple times during the week. And on Sunday, he just preached out of the overflow of his reading and studying and preaching. Uh, he would take one verse, usually, and slice it every way it could be sliced. He was a prodigious systematic theologian. He had read the Puritans. He had read the, the great Reformed theologians. And he would bring an entire systematic theology into a text. And if it would just say God, he would then launch into the being of God, the attributes of God the names of God, the triunity of God, the existence of God. And he would just preach theology proper, and that would be the first heading of the message. And then said, and he would just launch off on the word said, and just go in every direction, and then just put as much of Christ in that sermon as he possibly could. Uh, he was not a classical expositor like Calvin or MacArthur, but biblical preaching, oh yeah, he brought it in spades. And there is a reason why he is called the Prince of Preachers. And worse things could happen than you graduate from this school and become the next Charles Spurgeon of this generation. Um, he was an evangelistic force in the pulpit. Martin Lloyd-Jones, another kind of expositor. Different personality, and also the product of that dry, Wales, British, dignified, um, cerebral, but birthed out of the Welch revival with passion and unction as well. Uh, he would preach long book series, Ephesians, Romans, Acts. He would preach entire chapters, um, John 17. He would preach doctrinal series. All of his, you could put it this way, all of his preaching was teaching and all of his teaching was preaching. 
I mean, the, wherever he was, he was teaching, and wherever he was teaching, he was preaching. And whether it was Sunday morning in a preaching service, it was full of teaching, or if it was Friday night in a teaching service, it was full of preaching. And when we read his books, we almost don't know, was this given on Sunday morning? Was this given Friday night? Was this given during the week? Was this given on Sunday night? We almost don't know because all of his teaching was preaching and all of his preaching was teaching. And he would take a verse, and we've all seen through Romans, just literally him methodically moving verse by verse and at times phrase by phrase through the book of Romans, and he would just pour the entire Bible through that verse. And he would just pull from every direction um, almost the analogy of Scripture, the, the analogy of the faith, the, the, the full counsel of God poured through this text. And with preachers unction, and with preachers fire. Uh, that was Lloyd-Jones. Most of his illustrations would be church history. Most of his illustrations would be biblical illustrations. Um, another example would be uh, James Montgomery Boyce, who preached through entire books of the Bible. Genesis, ne uh, Nehemiah, Psalms, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, uh, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, John, Acts, Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, 1 John. Boom, 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 boom. I mean, he is like Calvin. He is like MacArthur. He is taking a passage and, or a book in the Bible and working his way through those literary units and, and preaching through uh, those books, giving great doctrinal uh, care and concern, short introduction, very strong conclusion, strong evangelistic conclusion. Read the last paragraphs of Boyce, putting in the form of question, calling for the listener to search his own heart, search his own soul. And by the way, Calvin, when he would come to the climax of all of his sermons, you could, you, you could photocopy the last paragraph, which was his closing prayer, and impose it on virtually every sermon he ever preached, and it was almost verbatim the same prayer. He would put his arms around the congregation and lift them up to the throne of grace and leave them, quorum Deo, face to face with God. And his evangelistic appeals towards the end of the sermons. Read his sermons on Galatians. They are very discriminating. Sifting through the wheat and the tares. Spurgeon. Read the last three pages of a Spurgeon sermon. When I was in seminary, I was told, if you ever are just spiritually dull, just go read a Spurgeon sermon. And if that doesn't light you up, then go be saved. <laughs> and then come back to class. And those last three sermons, I mean, he is like a, the last three paragraphs, he is like a, a house on fire. I've never preached a day in my life compared to that. Great evangelistic urgency. If you want to pull up one sermon by Spurgeon, Compel them to come in. Compel them to come in. 
from the first sentence. I mean, he just gets in the pulpit and he says, I have no introduction. Boom. And he's after, there's like 12,000 people sitting out there without a microphone. Matthew 22, compel them to come in. Read his sermon entitled, Now. From the text in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Read how he persuades, how he pleads, how he reasons, how he begs, how he urges his listeners to come to faith in Christ. I, I'm convinced too many of us are too proud to beg. We've, we've just got our nose in the air. We're, we're too cool, calm, and collected. We've never begged anyone in our life for anything, much less souls to be saved. You, you read those Spurgeon sermons, it, it will light you up. Boyce has a strong appeal at the end. Rapid fire staccato questions that provoke thinking. And then John MacArthur, the prince of expositors. Sequential, structured outline, extensive introduction. Back when we used to do cassette tapes, we, we, I'd, I'd buy a cassette tape, I'd be preaching through a book in the Bible. It finally dawned on me the first side was, is the introduction reviewing the last several messages? Flip it over, is the new message. So I would just fast forward the entire first side so I could get to what I needed to preach for this, th this Sunday. But I just marvel at the genius, at the brilliance of that introduction. You just stated it better in this sermon than you did in that sermon when you preached it. How can you do that? How can you have that many synonyms? How can you have a command of the language like that? How can you have insight? How, how can you reshape and reframe what you just said and use an entirely different word picture and word study. It's just genius in action. That's why each man has to know his gift. Historical background with Dr. MacArthur. Great historical background. He puts you into the sandals of the first century or whenever this text is taking place. You can smell the prison room where Paul is. I mean, you can feel the chains on his, on his wrist. You can see the Roman soldier that he's chained to. I mean, it, it's real. He puts you there. The word studies, just boom, boom, just opening up. It's like lights being turned on in a room. I see it, I see it, I see it. It's clear. Cross-references, supporting, building an argument, supporting his case. It, it's, a, it's a slam dunk. You would have to... You would be out of sync with the entire Bible if you did not agree with this. Text after text after text. And then biblical illustrations. And then defending the truth. John MacArthur. Now, I want to tell you, there's some variants from Calvin to Spurgeon to Lloyd-Jones to Boyce to MacArthur. There's some difference in style, in presentation, in the packaging, in the delivery, in the introduction, in the outlining or no outlining, in the conclusion. 
So there is both the art and the science of expository preaching. And you need to know yourself. You need to know how you're wired, how you most effectively communicate the truth. And one way to find out, you just have to get on your feet and do it. It's like learning to ride a bicycle. Uh, you're not going to learn to ride a bicycle in a classroom. You're going to have to get out on the street and fall over and have bruised shins and bloody elbows and get back up on it and do it again. And so it is with preaching. It's the art and the science of expository preaching. I would encourage you to have great examples around you. I would encourage you to have multiple great examples and draw certain things from each that help shape and mold you. But at the end of the day, you've got to be yourself. God made you to be you in your personality. But there is a zero tolerance level on the science part. We cannot show up with a different message or give a different meaning to the text. The meaning of the text is the text. Remember, Dr. MacArthur said that. And until you have the meaning of the text, you don't have the text. All you have is black print on white paper.